1: crossing route. Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP.
0: The Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to LA
3: this January at the Coliseum. We not me versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is your host, Derek C. Paul, the managing editor for Rams Talk with our final. That's right, folks. It's been two months, but we've finally done it. We have finished the tour on the league. This is our last episode of the series featuring the Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. Two franchises in the East Coast that you probably normally don't care about. However, in both interviews, you talk about two uh, players, one a current Ram and one a former Ram. That should I think is a little interesting. So Before we even get there, folks, I just want to ask you to head over to iTunes. We'd really appreciate a five-star review. Also, subscribe. You can find us also on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. We're on iebeatradio.com on Wednesday mornings. Also, Saturday and Sunday, all 10 a.m. Pacific time. Finally, Google Play and Android. Subscribe, folks. Please really help us out. We're not asking for money. It's not really what we want to ever do, but we also work hard to try and provide you guys with content and it just would help us out okay we do still have the long running contest and i mean long running this long running contest for the five star reviews on itunes once we get to 100 we will pick a winner for a 50 dollar gift to get over to well nflshop.com hopefully we're buying rams gear please tell me you're buying rams gear anyways one more thing before we get into our our uh, news of the day. Well, not news of the day, our uh, our story, our show. Okay? It's late, guys. i just give me a break. It's just it's late, okay? We want to ask you to consider a really awesome book. I'm serious. I we've been we've been putting out the news in this book from the very beginning and for whatever reason, I have no idea if you guys have read it. So email me at Rams talk 1945 Gene, uh, at gmail.com, okay? And let us know if you've read Jim Hawks, Hollywood's Team: Grit Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. This book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1903 to 1957. So, it's post-Father's Day, but we're still talking about the story of his son and father. His, his, his movement, his... his his time with the Rams. And this area he played for, this grit and glamour, Hall of Famers, Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy Crazy Lake Hurst, Tom Fears, Les Richter, they're all part of this story that spans the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. Folks, you can find Hawk's book online at Hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at Hollywoodsteam. It's available in both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and you can also find this book through various other bookstores on the internet. And I did talk to him before. Jim did say they're working on a paperback to come out hopefully soon. So look for it if you want the paperback version. I've read this book cover to cover. It's really interesting. It's just got lots of good RAM stuff in there. Check it out. It is hollywood's team grit glamour in the 1950s los angeles rams by jim hawk it's worth your time i believe in that so this is what we're going to do this is what you're what we're going to do email us your thoughts on this book if you read it okay email to us and we'll give you a shout out on the next show okay so the next show is in a couple days Please email us your thoughts. Again, it's ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. Okay, so here we go. First up. First up for us is Mike Giardi from NBC Boston giving us his preview of the New England Patriots. A look at their offseason. He'll also give us his thoughts on a certain wide receiver that currently is gracing our offense right now, Brandon Cooks. So pay attention. There is some Rams content in here check it out all right we're here with mike giardi from NBC sports boston mike thanks for joining us how are you i'm well how are you it's a wonderful day birds are chirping outside sunshine i'm not sure how things are in boston yeah we got the same thing going on right now well that's that's, that's the good stuff well immediately i want to kind of just touch on like news has come out in the last couple of days and kind of get an eye view of of what the climate is for the Patriots. A couple days ago, Eric Branch in the San Francisco Chronicle published a story about former Patriots defensive end Cassius Marsh, and he detailed how much he couldn't stand playing for the Patriots. Um, other players have more recently been more neutral when we'll explaining their experience there, but they've noted how difficult it could be. So what is the environment like in the New England locker room? And, and our players beginning to tire of Bill, Bill Belichick?
4: It is an extremely uh, difficult and challenging place to come to work to every day. Uh, they demand a whole bunch out of you. Um, your standing is never really set. You know, you can sort of ride the roller coaster, good day of practice, bad day of practice, good day of practice, people talking to you, bad day of practice, people ignoring you like you don't exist. But it's one of those situations where prior to what happened in the Super Bowl, they always felt like Bill was doing the best they, he could possibly do for the team and putting you know, the team's best interest in and in, of doing what it takes to, to win, win that week, win that day, um, and I, I think by and large, still so it's difficult. You had a full buy-in because the results speak for themselves. I mean, Belichick's resume is the, is otherworldly.
3: He hasn't always been the great personality, but he wins.
4: Yeah. So. Yep, and that's. I mean, if you're in you're in this game to, to fame and fortune, um, maybe this isn't the best place for you. Although you tend to uh, make a little bit more money and become a little bit more famous when you keep winning uh, or keep taking trips to the Super Bowl. And and I think so many different guys over the course of time have uh, either come here for a year to get that ring um, or the ones that continue to stay, uh, even though they know that um, it's not going to get any easier. You know, he's not going to change his ways. This means you have to subject yourself to, you know, being ground down to enough for for the better part of eight months.
3: So, looking at the team now, how does losing Nate Solder to the Giants affect the Patriots, and did they do enough to replace him?
4: I mean, that would be one of the interesting questions that that needs to be answered during training camp, and of course, probably the early part of the season. They made the deal for Trent Brown and San Francisco, I know he's the right tackle guy, but Dante Skarnacki, the offensive line coach here for the Patriots, um, made it seem like he's going to get a crack at left tackle. And of course, they drafted Isaiah Wynn out of Georgia in the first round, and he's not your prototypical tackle in terms of size. He's Fairly six foot. Well, he's not even six three. Um, but then you put in the tape and you watch him play in the SEC where he started left tackle this past season for an outstanding Georgia team, and you see the, the athleticism, the technique, uh, the power, playing with a little bit of nasty. Uh, and you say to yourself, well, he may not be prototypical, but there's a lot of tools there that make you think that he can he can handle to transition and become a become a pretty good left tackle in this league. So I think that's the competition there, and that's one of the most important things we'll be watching during the course of training camp.
3: Now, what other significant moves did the Patriots make in free agency, and what were their worst moves?
4: They made the deal for Jason McCourty, um, whose brother, obviously, is 27, but starting safety for the Patriots and a damn good one. And uh, I think the acquisition of Jason helps to soften the blow of um Departure of Malcolm Butler via free agency, and Butler did not have a, a, a good year. It was a borderline roller coaster season for him, uh, and far more lows than there were highs. And I think the idea is McCourty's still got plenty of football left in him, and that there's a different level of professionalism there. He's also sort of a bigger, a bigger corner than Butler is. So I think that that's a that's a nice move um, that will help make that secondary hole playing across from Stefan Gilmore. You got. Eric Rowe still out. In uh, last year of his rookie rookie deal, Jonathan Jones, who came on very nicely last year, and undrafted a kid out of Auburn, who went from special teams to getting a lot more time in the slot than anybody expected. So I think that's that was a significant move to me, an important move. I think the Trent Brown trade creates depth and some some competition on that that offensive line. You know, they they did a lot of bargain basement wide receiver shopping. Uh, signed Jordan Matthews. I think there's a there's a fair amount of competition that's going to play out there with Kenny Britt, who, who they signed late last year and then gave a one year contract in Washington. So I think that'll be an interesting position to watch as well because you know Julian Ellman's right on track to be back and you know, he's been out in OTAs now, out, so you you expect him to be a, if not a full go at the start of training camp, something close to it from the knee injury. But I think I look at that that outside the numbers wide receiver that. Brandon Cooks was, was traded for the Rams and say, who's going to gonna fill that role? Malcolm Mitchell's another guy who had a really good rookie year and then missed all of last year with a knee injury. Um, and he has been slow to progress here in the off season. He's another guy that would so be nice if he was healthy because he and Brady had a good connection. But, um, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out with the knee.
3: We've heard a lot of things about Brandon Cooks in terms of what he can and can't do. We've heard stories of, as to why the Patriots carried him. But we don't really – know the New England point of view. Why did the Patriots trade Brandon Cooks and was he just not a fit for the for the offense? I
4: think uh I think there's a lot of things that went into that. I think first of all, the idea that um you know they got him with two years left in his rookie deal, so he's making a million and change last year and the number obviously jumps to eight to plus this year. Um and then you start to look at the market that develops wide receivers in the offseason and another former Ram, Sammy Watkins, is getting $16 million per after a subpar year. I think the Patriots kind of looked at it, had some conversations with Cooks about extending them long term and realized that the number was not the number that they were comfortable with. So they just thought, all right, we're, we're going to turn around. We're going to flip this for to the, to the 23rd pick in the draft. And, you know, they, last year they gave up the 32nd to get Cooks. So in the end they got a year of Cooks and they improved their draft position by nine spots in the following season by, by making the deal. Like, you know, he's he's uh, he's extremely uh, explosive in terms of his speed. He gets on top of people quickly. But he's not... And I don't think we're for a lack of trying. He's, first of all, he's not a very big guy. He, can't, he doesn't run a lot of stuff underneath the linebackers in that, you know, 5- to 10-yard area coming across the middle between the numbers, between the hatches, which is where Brady really goes. Just, I mean, that's that, that's his ideal place to work. So you take that out of the equation because he can't really do that. He's not physically built for it, not comfortable with it. And then you look at some of the stuff from outside the numbers where he's not a – he got better as the year went on, but he's not a big compete for the ball guy. A like 50-50 ball is more like 80-20 for the defense when he, when he's involved. And, again, I think size has something to do with that. He's just not – he's not that big of a guy. I mean, he's, he's – he's jacked for his side, but there's not a lot of weight there uh and and not a lot of size. So I think that that sort of hampered him. Brady Brady is uh has long been a proponent of in New Orleans prior to and I think it was something they had a hard time adjusting to um in his season here. I think looks he's a professional he looked his ass off. I don't I don't recall him missing the practice. Uh he pl- ended up playing a, a, probably more snaps than anybody thought he was going to because of with the various injuries a wide receiver. I mean, look, he was gonna be a starter, but I, I think maybe in different packages he he might have found himself on the sidelines for various things, but because of the injury to Mitchell and um Edelman getting out, he ended up being an Iron Man. And I, I credit him. He was a willing blocker. He did a lot of different things. It just I don't think it was necessarily the perfect fit.
3: You mentioned the draft pick, the twenty third pick overall they got two overall in the draft. And what were their best and worst picks? You mentioned win earlier.
4: Yeah, I, I, look, I, I, I was surprised by the win selection in the sense that he just sort of wasn't on my radar. I mean, talked to a bunch of different people, had looked at a bunch of different offensive linemen types, and he, he wasn't one that was in the collection. So they did a nice job of sort of hiding their uh, their desire for him. I love the Sony Michelle pick uh, at the end of the first round. They're not a team that's the first, first time they picked a running back in the first round since Lawrence Maroney, which was about a decade ago. But for anybody who watched Michelle, just an explosive, uh, powerful kid, uh, capable of catching the ball in the backfield, I think we'll go a long way to sort of replacing some of the production that Dion Lewis gave him last year. And Lewis really blew off him last year and was one of the better players, more consistent players from start to finish. Um, Duke Dawson, they picked him up in the second round. Slot corner, again, uh, will help to sort of mitigate the loss of, of Butler. Uh, considered a physical kid, tough kid. You're up in the tape, and you can see that. Come out there; he's, you know, that that secondary that he played in when he first got there. He, he, he worked his way right in, and they're all everybody's in the pros. So you know, it kind of gives you an indication of of the talent level that he had. And then you know, after that, there was sort of uh, a lot of trades, a lot of trades back, and a lot of trades out. Um, but I, I think the one thing that was surprising from it all was I think we had all identified. Off-the-ball linebacker, edge rusher, is two spots of need for them, and they did not uh, hit. They did not address uh, the off-the-ball linebacker thing until the fifth or sixth round. And as you well know, usually when you're getting picked down there, it's probably because you have some limitations, and I think that's the issue with their current linebacking core. Alana uh, Roberts is real good against the run going forward. She you ask him to go side-to-side, side. you ask him to drop back in coverage, he's a liability. Uh, Kyle Van Noy, you know, they acquired him from Detroit a few years ago. Uh, Smart player, versatile. Same thing, though. Almost like the more he plays, the more he gets exposed. better off playing 35, 40 plays a game versus 60 plays a game. Uh, And I don't know that they did enough to to address that. I think they're just going to, you know, hope that they hit hit the jackpot with one of those later-round picks or linebacker uh, and hope when it comes to the edge rusher position that Derek Rivers, who was their first overall pick two years ago but wasn't until a third round, that they hope that he has you know, he missed all of last year the torn ACL started so in joint practices in Houston and he had started to come on just prior to that and I think the hope is especially he got a redshirt year and physically he's a little bit stronger and maybe he'll give them uh, some production from that from that defensive end
3: spot. And just some questions about some of your veterans or two. How much time does Tom Brace still have in him? And are there any idea is there any idea out there on the plans they have to groom his replacement?
4: Yeah, I mean, the plan to replace him was Jimmy Garoppolo, and and Brady outlived that plan, right? And, they, you know, by picking Garoppolo in the second round, they, they didn't have the luxury of picking up his the final year, the fifth year, the, you know, the first round pick, that the option to get for, for reasonable money, if you will. Instead, they would have had either franchise him or work out something incredibly rich and long-term, uh, and that just wasn't going to happen. And he wanted to play, and there was clearly no signs of Brady slowing down, uh, it's been an interesting off season for Brady. He's, he's skipped the uh, OCA's, which, again, they're voluntary. But um, for the better part of his career, he's been there for this stuff. The general consensus is that he was worn down from last season, worn down from the, the long-time relationship with Belichick and how exacting and precise Belichick wants him to be and, and how difficult it is to play for him and that he needed a little extra time to recharge his batteries. I'm curious to see how that plays out, considering he's going to turn 41 in August but I know that while not ideal for him not being around, uh, I don't doubt the commitment that he has to his body and to uh, into his throwing program. Um, and, you know, look until he shows signs of falling off the cliff, uh, you got to believe he's going to continue to play as he has, and that's crazy. But uh, he's sort of rewriting uh, the history books here, the chapters for – for, for quarterbacks at this late, late of an age. I mean, 38, 39, so he went the MVP of 40, um you know, been to the Super Bowl three of the last four years, uh, won two of them, could have very well won a third with a little help uh, this, this past Super Bowl. So he is defying all logic, defying all odds at this point.
3: Now, the other guy here I'm thinking about is Rob Gronkowski. There was plenty of speculation about his future in this offseason, possibly with him retiring What's the real deal behind him? How much time does he have left?
4: Uh, I, he's definitely way closer to the end than than uh, 20 is to the beginning. I mean, he's body wise, he's been through a lot of stuff. You know I mean, talking about a guy who had back surgery in college, which is one of the reasons why he went in the second round to begin with. Uh, one of the reasons why Tremaine took out a five million dollar injury insurance policy on him when he was in college because of the back. Um, and since then, he's had you know, broken forearm twice. He's had an infection there. Um, you know, he, he destroyed his ACL. Uh, he had another back surgery. But I think his – the idea that he was going to retire was nonsense. I think that he has been unhappy with his contract. I think that you're going to see any day now that he's got a new contract. And, you know, wh- how long he plays after this year, I don't know. I, I suppose it, it depends on how his body feels. But I, I think just all that posturing was strictly about about money. You know, there's <laughs> – it's, I know it's a different position, but when Sammy Watkins at sixteen million dollars, and uh, he's not, you know, half the weapon that Rob Gronkowski is. Uh, when tight ends like uh, Trey Burton, who was the second or third string tight end for Philly, is getting eight million per in free agency, and Gronkowski was only due nine this year, I think he kind of looks at him and says, right, "Well, you know, I know I signed the contract, but now that contract is is grossly below market, and you need to figure out a way to to bump me up into that." You know, I'm probably figuring it's going to be around 12 or 13 million a season, when all said and done.
3: You know, we're almost done here. The Patriots, where are they finished 2018, and where do they rank in the AFC right now?
4: Uh, I would still say they're the best team in the AFC. You know, I think that they'll be, as they always, is with them a little bit. I think there's going to be some. There'll be some growing pains in September, maybe into October. They tend to you know spin the dial a little bit, try to figure out what they're good at, what they're not good at, and don't fret so much about how it looks at times. Um, but then, you know, they always find a way, especially defensively, to round into form. I mean, we spent the last, first month of last season wondering if this was the worst defense we've ever seen in Patriot history. They were giving them 33 points a game. Uh, they blew two games on their home field, which never happens. You know, Kansas City will them up for 42 in the opener, I think it was. And then Carolina got them for 33. I think Houston uh, got them for 32 or 31 in a game that they. They had to win late on a, I don't know, actually, a Brady, the Brandon Cook touchdown pass. Um, and then by the end of the year, they were top five and scoring against. So, uh, you know, I, I think they got a close to get in the playoffs, which is why I think we all felt like they needed to add some more talent and get some, some talent to that defensive side. But I think in general, good coaches find a way to minimize their weaknesses and magnify their
3: strengths. And I don't think any coaching
4: staff does that better than – the one here and here.
3: So, how long can they keep this up? This is from like oh gee, 2001. We're entering 2018. <laughs> it's un, you know we've very early seen this kind of dominance by a franchise over the course of almost 20 years. How much how much longer can they keep doing this? It seems like we're starting to see some cracks in it. Folks are getting old. Bill Belichick does wear on you a little bit. How long can they keep this up?
4: Yeah, I mean to me, it's it's all tied into Belichick and Brady. How long can Brady continue to play at the high level? Um, Like I said, I'm not betting against him because it seems foolhardy at this point. Uh, And how long does Bill want to keep doing it? He's, uh, I believe, he's 65 or 66 now. You know, he he said he wasn't going to be Levy. He didn't want to be coaching into the 70s. Um, So if you're looking at three, four more years left, they managed to convince offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels to spurn Indianapolis and their head coaching job at the last possible minute to get him to stay was there some sort of agreement? Hey, Bill's only got one more year left and you're going to be the guy next. Um, You know, everybody denies it, but it seems odd that that Josh would have turned down $7 million a season or whatever was going to be in Indianapolis to come back and be the OC here. So uh, to me, it's really connected to those two guys. Um, And I, you know, Brady's the best, the best of his generation, maybe the best of all time, and Bill's the best of his generation, maybe the best of all time. So uh as long as those guys are still doing it at a high level, I think you're still going to be one of the teams that everybody has to knock off. Um, but once they start to show some signs of age or weakness or um, disinterest, if you will, then I think it opens it up for everybody else.
3: All right, folks, you can find Mike Giardi on Twitter, at Mike Giardi. Also, Mike, where else can people find you? NBCSportsBoston.com is our, our website. I do a lot
4: of writing for that. Uh, there will be plenty of video clips from our TV shows as well. Um,
3: and that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, those are the two spots. Right. So again, and his Twitter feed, folks, is pretty good. I, I enjoy, I enjoyed reading what he's got to say, especially on the Celtics series and so on and so forth. Again, it's at Mike Giardi on Twitter. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, hey, just a minute here. Let's talk about our sponsor real quick the Golden Ram Barber Shop out there, 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. Give them a call at 714 894 7267. Listen, these guys know what they're doing. Sal knows what he's doing. Gives you a great cut, good prices. The promo code, especially, get a good deal for him, is Rams Talk. Again, the promo code is Rams Talk. Sal opened this shop back in 1994, the day the Rams left. Kept the lights on, loaded his shop full of everything you can look for as a Rams fan. You're talking about helmets, you're talking about photographs, you're talking about jerseys. It's a great experience for any Rams fan to go in there and get a a good cut with great football conversation. Again, it's the Golden Ram Barbershop. Call them at 714-894-7267. Our next guest is Drew Geyer and Chris Kruger from the Rock Power Report, the Buffalo Bills podcast. Guys, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Oh, we're doing great. I'm living the dream over here.
5: I've got, <laughs> I'm, I've got liquor in one hand, beer in the other. I'm doing okay.
3: Okay, folks, in case you're wondering why he's got that while he's kind of double-fisting the alcohol here, um, well, Drew's getting married this weekend. So, <laughs> congrats from our from our podcast to yours. Um, May the Lord have mercy upon your soul. So, <laughs> okay. um, so we'll get right into it. Drew, what caused the Bills to give up on Tyrod Taylor?
5: I mean, where do you want me to begin? Just go. Okay. Well, from the top, let me let me tell you this. First and foremost, when Tyrod Taylor – I mean, I'll start back a couple months. I'm, I was in Pittsburgh. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm at the Rivers Casino and I'm walking by a TV and I see Mark Schlereth on SportsCenter in the morning talking about how, counting down who is going to win certain quarterback battles as training camp is progressing. We're on a dude's trip, I'm drinking, it's the morning. He announces that he doesn't feel that anybody should win the Bills quarterback battle because there are no franchise quarterbacks on the Bills roster. I took exception to that. Tyrod Taylor proved me wrong. Tyrod Taylor was given the starting job here in Buffalo because of his athleticism. And I will never try to discount that. He is, an, he is a phenomenal athlete when it comes to what he can do with the ball in his hands. But when it comes to playing the quarterback position, here's what I'll tell you. Some of the most frustrating losses that Bill's fans have endured were immediately followed by quotes from the opposing defensive players when they were asked by the media how they shut down the Bills' offense, they'll openly admit that they made Tyrod Taylor a pocket passer, and that's how they beat us. How It's demoralizing to a team and to a fan base to know that that's all you have to do is make your quarterback actually throw the football instead of relying on his legs.
1: I'm glad that he's gone because we know, I no longer have to hear Drew On our podcast, (laughs) tell everybody Tyrod Taylor is a see-it-and-then-throw-it quarterback. Tyrod Taylor
5: has been one of, as a quarterback, he's been the lowest in the NFL year after year after year in one of the most important statistics that exist, which is yards after the catch. Now, the issue with that is that when you see a guy breaking open, or you just trust a guy like, hey, he's going to be at this spot. I'm going to throw the football there and trust that he's going to do his job. There's a lot of times you see the Odell Beckhams of the world make the biggest plays after the catch. The problem with Tyrod is that he's so he's so risk averse that he will not throw the ball to a wide receiver unless he knows that that guy is wide open and absolutely will catch it which generally means it's not in stride. It's going to be behind the receiver, away, where he, he's the only one who can catch it, but also that he's probably going to get tackled, and he'll check down a ton. Ultimately, Tyrod is a very safe quarterback. He doesn't turn the ball over, and that's what people see, and they say, oh, well, he's a good quarterback then. He doesn't throw a lot of picks. He also only threw, I don't think he's kept 20 touchdowns in his entire career in a single season.
3: That's not acceptable. Hmm. So basically what you're saying is he was running a middle school offense? I would say
5: he's not only running a middle school offense, but I'd say that the middle school offense is because of Tyrod Taylor. The problem with Tyrod Taylor is that he's one of those guys who's been coached his entire career not to turn the ball over. Now that he's almost 30, he may even be 30 years old at this point. You can't can't break him of those habits so when you tell him listen we're behind by 14 points and we need you to go out there and be a gunslinger he won't do it you there there will be and his vision is very limited so what's going to happen is you're going to watch games if you're a browns fan who's listening to this podcast right now i god bless you what you're going to see this season with all the wide receiving talent you have is a quarterback who very often Will completely be. I don't know if it's hu- if it's a height issue, not being able to see over the line, or if it's just a lack of overall vision. There's going to be wide receivers wide open, tight ends wide open, up the seam, over the middle, down the field. You know, on a post route, he will not see them or throw. And if he does see him, he won't throw the football. Instead, he'll throw to the sidelines. He'll throw to the boundaries. And if nothing else is open, he'll run the football.
1: I'm quite confident that one of his first games that he had as a starter against it was a game against Miami. I could have sworn he threw no passes to the middle of the field. He's he's known he's for had, doing that. He's
5: had a lot of games with single digit passes into the intermediate area of the field over the in between the hash marks. That is not an NFL quarterback. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Not one that you're going to make the playoffs with consistently. Not one you're going to win a Super Bowl with, which is why I think
3: the franchise decided to move on. Okay, so here's my question, though. He's gone. And behind, at first, all you have is Mr. Five Interceptions. (laughs) Okay? Yes. And now they can make a move to get up in the draft. And in the end, the guy they go for is the person who needs the most development in that first tier, Josh Allen. Why did they do this?
5: I will I will begin. I will preface this with this. When the draft was going on, I was in Jamaica with my fiancé, soon to be my wife this weekend, on, at one of her friend's weddings. We're sitting at this fancy pre-wedding dinner, and I've got her phone. She gave me, this is how much she loves me, <laughs> she gave me her phone so that I could stream the draft. And I'm watching the draft, And I saw Josh come across the screen. And for a second, I started to fist pump. Because I'm like, Josh Rosen, he's mine. Oh, no, Josh Allen. He was the quarterback that I wanted least out of any of these quarterbacks. (laughs) I can say that. Having said that, now he's our guy. And I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what to think about it. I'm personally sick over it. It bothers me. And it'll probably... If if anybody out there wants to follow the Rockpile report, you're going to f- probably hear a lot of profanity-laden tirades about Josh Allen in the very near future.
1: I believe the complete opposite of Drew on Josh Allen. I mean, we've had failures at quarterbacks in the first round in the past. E.J. Manuel, J.P. Lossman. I mean, Brandon Bean is a uh, new general manager. You got to tie your wagon to a quarterback. And, you know, we haven't—I'm ha- 33— I have not seen or have been alive when the Bills have drafted a legitimate quarterback because we took Jim Kelly in '83, and I'm just of the mindset: Hey, if you think Josh Allen is your guy, go get him, and you know, I'll I'll believe in it. And we had Reed Ferguson, our long snapper, tonight uh, on our show, and he said, "OTAs that arm talent is real. You got to see it in person, and I can't wait. First year season ticket holder." I'm excited.
3: But that, but was, that was never the, the question mark with him, though. It was never his arm strength. It was so, It's the accuracy, right?
5: It's, it's the ridiculous accuracy miscues. Now, having said that, you know, there's a lot of things that go into, hey, he didn't have the best supporting cast. He didn't have this. He didn't have that. You know, people point to the fact, and I'll say this about Josh Rosen. It was something we noted in our pre-draft run-up about quarterbacks because we knew the Bills were going to take one high. Josh Rosen's downfall is that, yes, he's a pocket technician, and from the pocket, his accuracy percentage is pretty good. When he leaves the pocket, Josh Rosen only throws 48%. That's his completion percentage. Whereas Josh Allen keeps a level throwing platform and can make some highlight reel off-schedule plays. I'm, I'm sure that's what's intriguing the Bills. Especially because their GM was there when they drafted Cam Newton, who was a guy who was, look, he's big, he's athletic, he's durable, he's tough, he's got a rocket arm, and he can make these off-schedule throws, but he's always balanced when he's making. And I think that, in the end, that was the differentiation between Josh Rosen and Josh Josh Allen. You know, if you were going to put the Jays head-to-head, that's the side of the fence that the Bills brass decided was smartest. Will it bear fruit? Who knows? I don't. I'm going to remain skeptical because I've watched things like this play out. That guy played out according to uh, what is Schofield's outfit? Inside the pylons pre draft guide. Uh, Inside the pylons pre draft so. guide. When I look at Josh Allen in the category statistically that he falls into leaving college, he falls into the category of guys like Kyle Bowler. And Patrick Ramsey, Ramsey, does anybody know who that is? No, of course. I remember him. Not. Of course you him. would. <laughs> oh, but that's my point. You're basically betting on upside, but you're really not walking into. It. It's the lowest floor, but the highest ceiling. And you're just hoping, hoping that coaching kind of brings it to fruition, which is a dangerous thing.
3: Okay, so looking at the Bills draft overall, though, how do you rate it? How how did you guys rate it, and what were your their worst and best picks?
5: Well, I'll tell you, I think the worst pick to for me personally, Drew, was the Josh Allen pick. I mean, that pick alone, I was at an all inclusive resort. I I I wrestled a bottle of rum away from the bartender and drank it by myself. Yeah, that's that's the type of decision i thought josh allen was now having said that i woke up the following morning to find out that we had drafted a guy named tremaine edmonds who is an athletic freak he's a specimen he's a massive human being who can move much faster than guys with his size should be able to move he's an interior linebacker that people think could have played outside linebacker given his size his speed his reach his pass-rushing acumen, but he's also got coverage skills. There's evidence of him when he played at Virginia Tech going out there and covering slot receivers and making drives on the ball and making plays on the ball in the air. He has coverage ability. He's got the ability to go sideline to sideline. When I woke up and found out that we had drafted that guy in the first round too because I had clearly gotten way too drunk by the time we drafted him (laughs) to understand what he meant. In retrospect, he may end up
1: being the most impactful draft pick of this draft.
3: Chris, want to add on to that?
1: Hey, I'm the complete opposite. I like that Josh Allen pick.
3: <laughs> I, I
1: want quarterback to work here so bad because we haven't had one since Jim Kelly. So I'm going to trust our GM because I don't know football. And I know Drew talks like he thinks he <laughs> knows football and he doesn't. We you know that for a fact because you hated the draft last year. I ha- Okay, so I'll and- go on
5: record and say I, this year in the pre-draft process, I admitted that last year I was down on every single draft pick, and a lot of them turned around and turned into performance for this
3: franchise. Yeah, I'm That's gonna- what we had in common, though.
5: The, yes. so, so having said that, I look at this year's draft, and what I saw at first glance was, and that's why when I have to assign a grade to this year's draft, I'll say that it's contingent upon how the quarterback pans out. If Josh Allen turns out to be a competent quarterback, this draft is a home run. It's an A+. If he turns out to be the next Kyle Bowler, then this draft, the the highest it could possibly be is a C. But the reason I don't give it an F is because you got a, a Tremaine Edmonds. And then you, in the third round, landed a Harrison Phillips. When you have a defensive tackle, who leads his team in tackles and has 17 tackles for a loss. That's a nose guard who's getting those, that kind of penetration. That's going to help you replace some of your aging veterans. Like a Kyle. Kyle Williams is working with him extensively in training camp. According to Reed Ferguson, these mini camps and things like that, they're working together a lot. He's trying to teach the kid everything he knows because I think Kyle sees the writing on the wall. This kid is his heir apparent. So having said that, even in the later rounds of the draft, they took a kick return because they knew we didn't have one. They took a small slot receiver. Why? Because they knew we didn't have one. They just kind of took what they knew, threw it at the wall, outside of the top three rounds, and tried to see what they could make stick. Ultimately, it does come down to the quarterback pick. If he pans out, it's a home run. If he doesn't, then it's below average, slightly. But there's things to be optimistic about.
3: Okay. Now, what about free agency? They are quite active in free agency. Are you you happy with their haul? And, and, well, who will help this Bills team the most?
1: When you look at free agency – I think they gave they gave a lot of veterans like one to two year deals on on certain positions of needs that we could have addressed in the draft. And because we uh, knew that he was going to have to trade some picks to get the quarterback that he uh, that he wanted. That's why we signed uh, guys like uh, Chris Ivory at the running back because you know, outside of Shady McCoy. We really don't have really don't have anything at the running back position.
5: No, and that was one of the things going into the draft that I really thought they would try to address considering how deep this crop of running backs were. But apparently they saw something they liked in Ivory. Having said that, they also went out and got A.J. McCarron as a quarterback on a cheap contract. Two years, $10 million, $5 million per. That's a steal as a guy who may very well end up being our week one quarterback. I mean, everyone has talked about how Josh Allen is a project. I don't believe he should be rushed. I don't think he should be held back either. If he doesn't win the battle out of training camp, we at least have a guy who has won a playoff game, for, or at least should have won a playoff game if Vontaze Perfect wasn't the biggest dirtbag on two feet. Okay, They would have won that playoff game. And you, being from the Ohio area, should probably understand how much people hate that guy. Now, when I look at the other free agent soundings that we've made, Trent Murphy, defensive end. The thing that scares me about Trent Murphy is we gave him a lot of money, a lot of money for a guy who really only plays third down. He's a pass rushing specialist who's making as much as some starters. That's a problem for me. I don't like that, but there's nothing we can do. The team saw a need to get better on pass rushing downs because we were in the bottom five of the league in sacks last year. I mean, that's that, that's an issue. I think the biggest and most impactful signing that you're going to see is going to be the fact that we landed Star leg. The reason for that is because you have this rookie middle linebacker you expect to come in and make an impact. Well, you have to keep him clean. That's the way it works. That's Sean McDermott's defenses. Every single one of them that you saw, we did it on our show. We kind of walked through his tenure as a defensive coordinator from Philly to Carolina. And what we saw is that his most successful defenses had two stud D tackles who could just clog up all the traffic and keep the linebackers clean to make plays. He had it when he, you think about it, he had Luke Kuechly. Okay, Mm -hmm. freak athlete. He also had, what What is it? Uh, Who is it? Sheck Thompson. And who's the other guy? The guy who broke his finger and then reset it. Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis. Broke his finger in the middle of a play and then reset it and then made a tackle. That's disgusting. (laughs) He's used to that level of linebacker play, but he's used to those guys being kept free to make plays. So with that, he's kind of doubling down on the defensive line. Because he expects that to let his linebackers be the stars of the defense. So I think Star Latulale might end up being the biggest free agent signing of the entire offseason. Considering that, no, he doesn't bring you a lot in pass rush. But just in the the number of bodies he can just eat
3: up. The presence he has there. Yeah. When I saw they got him, I was sitting there sitting there thinking, geez, that's... A major, major catch for them. That's going to change a lot for their defensive line. Um, with all those things out there now, okay. I have two two more questions for you. The big one for you: Are the Bills good enough right now to compete for a playoff spot? And dare I even say, is there even a chance they they can compete with New England?
5: This is what I'll say: If last year taught, uh, there's there's people out there. I mean, you talk about Evans, the uh, two of the biggest. <laughs> Biggest Bills detractors on the planet, Mike Clay of ESPN and Evan Silva. Okay, the two of them together, they don't know it, but I'm secretly collecting just a, f- a scrapbook of all of their shitty Bills takes. <laughs> if that's too blue, but they're they're awful, terrible Bills takes because they expected last year they thought we were going to be the worst team in football. And we weren't that. We kind of fell, kind of rear end backwards into a playoff spot. So now they're doubling down on it. Without Tyrod Taylor, they're saying that there's no chance that we're anything better than a top, than a bottom five team in the NFL. Well, I'll tell you this. If last year taught me anything, it's that this coaching staff finds a way to put their players in positions to succeed. These young guys, I mean, I never knew who... I I thought Matt Milano was a throw-in. He turned out to be an all-season contributor for us. I didn't like the Trey White pick. It turns out he was the most impactful... He was one of the most impactful players on our defense last season. And almost in the entire NFL. We have a coaching staff that isn't afraid to step up to the bar. We have players who are buying into the system. When you have that, you can move mountains. Last year's team proved that, and so I can't doubt these guys. As much as I'd like to look at them and say, "Wow, you're bound to regress, you're bound to be terrible." Who am I to second guess a coach and a bunch of players who decided, "Hey, we're not going to be as mediocre as everyone thought." We were?
1: That would be me. I think we're going to take a step back. I I mean, I don't like giving out predictions until like the, the end of the preseason cuz you know I don't like injuries and stuff like that now affecting if I put out a prediction but I wouldn't be surprised if we were like 8 and 8 7 and 9 a small okay. step back but even then a small step
5: there is no, people who are projecting that the bottom is going to drop out on this team are very very seriously undervaluing a the heart of the guys who are on this team. I mean, you're talking about a team that no one expected to do anything.
1: Right. It also helped with all the moving that we did at the draft. We didn't give up anything next year in the no. draft. No, I mean,
3: I look at it though and think your quarterback's Agent McHaren, who's who was sitting behind the dude in Cincinnati. I mean, I that that's what I'm sitting there thinking though. Your quarterback is Agent McHaren, and his backup's going to be the guy who really is a completely developmental quarterback right now no matter how we frame it Mm -hmm. so that would be my question i'm not saying the team is i'm not going to take the quote-unquote evan silva take here and think okay well three and 13 or whatever no but to me it just comes down to how does aj mccarron do now that he's in that role for the first time if he does fine i think the talent's there in buffalo
1: Yeah, drew would be a very good expert at this because he (laughs) loves alabama football absolutely
5: love alabama football now, here's what I'll tell you. This is something that we actually talked about last week, and I brought up when we talked uh, just beforehand. There's been a thing that I was calling the golf method of building an offense. If this team is really meant to take a step back, how far of a step back is that, and what does it truly mean for the fortunes of the franchise? Now, you as a Rams fan very much remember Goff was number one overall in the 2016 draft. Okay? You had a ton of defensive talent, but there was nothing going on in offense outside of Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was your offense. I mean, you lost to the Bills at home. Well, at home in L.A. You
3: You got to just rub it in. Oh, I'm going to.
5: We actually have a video that went viral of me bitching bitching up a storm about how Case Keenum in the last place passing offense in the football was carving our defense up, and then Nikel Roby Coleman picked you off for a touchdown. <laughs> As I'm screaming about it, the pick six happens, and everyone in my basement's cheering, and I'm the only one who looks like I've just been slapped with a wet fish. So when I look at what the Rams were, though, you had Case Keenum who started four to five record you know he I think there were four and five be on an offensive line that couldn't block in a wide receiver receiver group with no dynamic talent then golf started the last seven games got kind of got a chance to cut his teeth even though he lost every single game the next season you guys were flush with cap space you had a ton of valuable draft capital and the team completely revamped its offense You paid a lot for some really dynamic offensive linemen. You went out, and whether it was via free agency or via trade, you landed new wide receivers. And then you drafted a third one. You completely overhauled the wide receiver core in one season with playmakers. And then, behind that protection with all of his talent around him, Jared Goff, he was a stud for you guys last season.
3: Well, it's interesting you say that because that takes me to my next question, and that is Sammy Watkins. Dun dun dun. <laughs> um, we had him here for a year. We got him from you guys. There's been we have a a, a well known. <laughs> um, I, I I guess you could call him a troll. He's a nice guy. He just he's he's basically on all on the Sammy Watkins train. Um, he's laid every problem that Sammy Watkins had in L.A. at the feet of Jared Goff. And, of course, my argument is, dude, Jared Goff threw 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions, went to the Pro Bowl in his second year. And to me, what is essentially his rookie year, and you're going to put it all on him, how come he's the only um, – how come Watkins is the only receiver to have a problem with Goff all year? So um, his argument is is Sammy has elite skills, he was only targeted so many times, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So you guys had him from the beginning. Go.
5: We also hit Robert Woods from the beginning, and guess what? Robert Woods turned out to be the better receiver and a much better
1: blocker, which actually makes him more valuable to your franchise. But Sammy Watkins has also been nonstop injured since he got in the NFL. You can't really account for oh, he except wasn't for last year. Well, yeah, except he was, for last year. But yeah, I'll, he wasn't injured in college, and then you know we draft him, and he he hits some injuries, and then. Doug Barone has this great idea to start him in a fifth preseason game and he gets hurt again and he that lingers for the rest of that season. What I'll say is this
5: watching Sammy Watkins play for the Buffalo Bills. He made some fantastic plays Mm -hmm. some game changing plays. He really did. But more often than not, what we saw was a wide receiver who had all the potential to be great and never capitalized on it ever. So. The fact that he went to your franchise and did kind of the same thing. You know, you have people who want to blame the quarterback for the failures of the wide receiver. You kind of have to look at the wide receiver and say, okay, where have you ever really excelled? Guess what? The fact that he had eight touchdowns last year should be considered the high watermark for him. Because it's more than he's ever accomplished thus far in his career. I don't give a shit about the thousand-yard season. What I care about, I hate to cuss. I don't care about the 1,000-yard season. What I care about is that you've got a wide receiver who is a very – I don't want to call him a selfish player, but I'm going to. He's a me guy. He's a me guy. I should be getting the I should be getting the king's ransom of targets. I think I'm the most talented wide receiver. Well, guess what? Robert Woods out route ran you. Guess what? Robert Woods, it turns out, watching him play with Jared Goff, my jaw hit the floor. Because when he was a bill, we didn't have a quarterback who was able to illustrate how good Robert Woods is at getting open and really getting his hands in the ball. Ah, so, watching the him. The
3: argument der- there, dude, is that Sammy running running deep opened those routes up for Robert Woods. But we had
5: both of them on the field at the same time. You in Buffalo. Just
3: saying. Uh, so, so
5: to be that to, to be a contrarian, we had both of those players on the field at the same time but no quarterback. But no quarterback. The moment you got a quarterback, your quarterback clearly favored one target over the other. There's a reason for that. Don't don't lose sight of that. Don't let one wide receiver's complaints just kind of move you away from the fact that there's a reason this quarterback chose that wide receiver over this wide receiver on a fairly routine basis. Okay? Uh, that's just what it is. Sammy Watkins, as a wide receiver, he's a great talent. And he has the ability to be elite. He's got to get over this me stuff, though. You really yeah, has to.
3: Yeah, watching his film from last year, it's it's amazing how open he gets. And uh, so many times, Goff didn't even look at him. And the, the question is, 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 it, is it really because Goff just didn't see him or because Goff didn't trust him? And
5: that is, and that's the problem. Do you trust him? If you do, I mean, you're a new quarterback. This is a new wide receiver to you. Sammy Watkins is looking at himself like I'm a guy who's been in the league for three years, four years. I have a body of work. If this guy doesn't trust me, well then screw this. Well, guess what? That's not how you can look at it. If you want to be a perennial all pro player. You have to look at it as, what can I do to get my quarterback's attention? What can I do to prove that I'm that every down guy that
1: you should look to? And And if he's
5: not willing to do that, then it's good for you guys
1: for moving on from him. Yeah, and he really didn't help himself out in free agency. He went to Kansas City, first-year quarterback Patrick Mahomes.
3: (laughs) But, oh boy, it's go there. Oh, the folks in KC are all over Patrick Mahomes. They think he is a, the next coming of the, you know, the Lord Savior. Um, I I I don't really see that just yet. Just because, to me, you were on the bench. You haven't proved anything yet. You played in one game last year. You can make throws in practice. Can you make them in a the game against a, a number one defense? Can you do that? Let me see it first. I'm not going to there and say that. I, I think I think that Sammy Watkins will do, will do fine in Kansas City, but I don't want to hear the comparisons of Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff and how he's better no, than Goff. Goff, not
5: Goff, after Goff Goff It a won't happen. No. It won't happen, and I'll tell you why. Big Twelve quarterbacks coming into this season. I saw the statistic. I was in Jamaica watching the thing pre-draft the day before the draft. I saw the statistic: Big 12 quarterbacks have a sub-500 record over the last like five or six years in the NFL. Want to know why? Because they all come from these specialty air raid offenses. You can tell me that you coached that out of a quarterback, but I don't think you can. I think when a quarterback is used to being able to drop back and see two or three options who are open, he's going to pick the best one. And then he translates over to the NFL, where... You're going to drop back, and you're going to see nobody open. And You're going to see nobody open for three seconds, and it's your job to stay on your feet long enough for somebody to get open and make a play. That's where you prove who is a good quarterback and who isn't. Jared Goff, I didn't think he could make that stretch, and he did. He did. He proved that last season that he has that ability to make the leap to NFL football.
3: Well, He worked with a great coaching staff.
5: Exactly, he had sh- your your head coach. That's what, and that's the one thing that I'll I'll say about this: the, the Rams' model of building an offense that I talked about earlier works because you have one of the sharpest offensive minds in football, right? Now, as your head coach, so I, when I look at the Bills and I look at what they're doing with Allen, I say, well, do we have a sharp offensive mind? I have no idea. What I know is we have an offensive coordinator, newly hired, who's never had a better quarterback talent than Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn is the pinnacle of the quarterback talent he's had, but he's coached three top top four or five rushing offenses, which lends itself to Buffalo's strength. So I, I don't know. Can he do something with our passing attack? I have no idea. But I'll say this: coaching is really what
3: matters. All right. So, hey guys, that's a lot of a lot of insight and a good amount of time there. Tell our people where they can find you.
1: We're on Twitter at Rockpile Report. Drew and I both uh, handle that account. Drew loves. uh, If you want to come troll us, come do that because Drew loves to handle uh, (laughs) trollers on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, you can find our uh, podcast, The Rockpile Report. We're on all the major uh, podcatching apps, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, iTunes. Uh, you can go direct on the web, rockpilereport.podbean.com to get our podcast.
3: Hey, 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 King of the North, if you're listening to this podcast, man, go find him. Yeah, I know how much you love some Sammy. Go find him. Go.
1: Fantastic.
5: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us on.
3: Yeah, thanks, thanks again, guys. Okay, a word from our sponsors. It is summertime in Southern California, which means sun, hot weather, and visit to the pool. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, check out Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling serves Orange County and the Southland and are run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. He built his business on a mantra a fantastic results and amazing customer service. Just head on over to jayhawkpools.com and take a look at their work. You can see the quality in their finishes and in the testimonials provided by past customers. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. You can also email them at info at jayhawkpools.com. Folks, it's a great opportunity to support our podcast and also help fellow members of the Rams family. If you live out in the area and you need work done, give Jayhawk Pole Plaster a call. You'll be glad you did. All right, guys, that about does it for us here tonight. It's been a long night. Oh, boy, a long podcast. We... Finished off here with Rock Power report for the Buffalo Bills. Those guys are a, they're a lot of fun. We're going to have, to have them on again for our roundtable when the season starts because they are just a blast. A lot of good insight there on Sammy Watkins on the on the Bills and they're moving forward. I want to invite you again to head on over to iTunes. Um, hey, five star review. Okay, you could also find us on Twitter at Talk Rams. You can find me on Twitter at DC Paul. The other hosts. For our show at Norm Hightower. storm Norm Hightower. For our new show, don't forget our new show. Look for our new show, Butting Heads with Steve Ribeiro and Magic Johnny Gobez. Uh, that is uh, now in the middle of the week podcast. They they cover other Rams issues. They also talk a little fantasy football. Steve's really, really good with fantasy football, folks. Major props to him. You can follow him at Twitter, at uh, Steve Ribeiro, and Johnny, Magic Johnny, at johnny 5 not Six. Facebook, we're at talk rams forward slash Rams Talk. And we also have a group because of that stupid Facebook algorithm change that's really messing everybody up. Check out our group. We're Rams Talk Room. Okay. Folks, um, I have one more thing to put out there for you. It's very important to me and to our staff. We are a history site. We we focus a lot on the Rams now, but we focus even more, I think, in recent memory, we focus even more on their history. I want to invite you to, to look for our next show. We have a Rams legend who should be in the Hall of Fame visiting. And that, that episode is totally, completely devoted to him. And uh, we'll, we'll have some more information for you on that. It's, we're starting something special here, and I will hope, hopefully you can get on board with us because uh, we, we believe this man should be in the Hall of Fame. All right. For my, the, for my entire staff, for the entire Rams Talk team, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.
2: Okay, let's say you're on vacation or out running errands and you want to see what's going on at home. Or you're at home and you want to see what your dog's getting up to downstairs. With self-protection from Xfinity, you can keep an eye on things no matter where you are with live and recorded video, all on your terms. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires Xfinity internet and compatible XFi gateway. Professional monitoring not included.